You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests, we got some great ones tonight. We'll join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, the tournament is back. We've been waiting all week to get back to the point that we had NCAA basketball. and we It is finally here. Over the course of the next several days, we are again going to be flooded with games on the men's and women's side that are absolutely incredible. So it feels like maybe the best approach for us as we try and break down what we're going to see this weekend is to pick some favorites. There's just too many games to go through. So I think maybe we go through this and we just identify a few games that really stand out to us and what we're going to be stoked about. Before we get to that, though, how confident are you going into the weekend on your bracket this weekend? Oh, <laughs> not great. I mean, my women's bracket <laughs> is looking good. Uh, my women's bracket is looking good, especially in the round the horn. I think I'm tied for second amongst the uh, celebs in that one. Uh, the men, uh, well, let's just say in, in, in half of my brackets, I picked Illinois, if that tells you how I'm feeling. Well, you know, that's why that's why we love working together. We are going to just share in misery at this point. Yeah, that's it's easier that's to really enjoy. what the show's about. We got nothing riding on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I feel like the easiest thing for us to do at this point is just to pick a couple of games. Uh, we'll take one from each day from each of uh, the men's and the women's brackets. So uh, when we when you look at the schedule on Saturday, what game has you the most hyped? For, you want to start men's or go women's? Yeah, we'll start men's. We'll start men's. All right. Uh, this one's an obvious pick for me. This is number 12, Oregon State, versus number 8, Loyola Chicago. Obviously, um, there's such a buzz around Chicago, even with COVID, where we're not all out at the bars watching. There's still such great vibes around Porter Mosier and this Loyola team. It was such a fun run the first time. And to actually get back and keep building on that instead of it being a one-off and the conversations around this Loyola Chicago team potentially working their way to becoming the next Gonzaga-type perennial team in a, in a smaller school. Uh, that, to me, uh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I consider Potter Mosier a friend of the show. He's come on twice in the last two weeks. Uh, you know, he, he expressed his disappointment in me picking potentially the Illini against them. So um, I got to ride with my Loyola team now. I like that. And by the way, Porter feels like not only a friend of the show, I feel like you and Porter are buddies. Like, I don't know yeah. why I feel that. I've just decided that the two of you guys are friends, and that means that I'm just riding your coattail to free Loyola swag at some point. Like, that's what this is I all about. I think it's like, clear he's a big fan. I mean, our, I mean, you know, our chemistry on the air, you could just tell that he's a big fan. <laughs> All right, so when I took a look at the Saturday games on the men's slate particularly, uh, this one was tough because there were a bunch of good ones, but really Syracuse and Houston is the one that stands out to Mm. me as the one that really I think could be interesting. Part of this comes to the fact that Syracuse is on the run they're on, and part of it comes from the other side of it is that Houston has not necessarily played as well at times in this tournament as I thought they would. So uh, the the Cougars struggled to score last game. They only shot 37% from the field, well below their average. They're a great defensive team. They rebound the ball well. I understand all of that, but this is a their their defense is going to be te- uh, tested against the Syracuse team that can score, and Syracuse can limit the scoring against them, as we all know. So I feel like this has the opportunity for a really interesting uh, matchup. Syracuse seems to have a favorable matchup in it. I think Syracuse is going to pull off the upset and pull themselves into the Elite Eight uh, by beating Houston. So I, I, all eyes on that one uh, for me. So let's uh, let's stick with Saturday, but now let's look at the other side of it, and we'll go to the. Mid- women's side uh, what game on saturday has you the most hyped ah uh, this was too easy to pick it kicks off everything 1 p.m eastern on abc even 
Number five, Iowa taking on number one, UConn. I love that this is going to be on a national stage for people to see two of the most exciting basketball players in the country, both of them freshmen. And because it's in the women's side, we're going to get to see three or four years of these ladies, not one and done. It's Paige Beckers and UConn taking on Caitlin Clark and Iowa. Clark is the scoring leader in NCAA Division One. Beckers, the front runner for National Player of the Year. Their statistics are insane. Becker's averaging almost 20 points and six assists. She's got almost three steals a game. She makes 54% of her shots and 46% of her three-pointers. On the other side, Caitlin Clark, who hasn't gotten nearly as much shine simply because of where she plays, like I said, scoring leader for the country, 26.8 points per game. She's shooting 47% from the field and almost 40% from from deep. And one of the craziest stats I saw for her is her ability to create for herself 77 points on isolation plays this season in 86 attempts, uh, in addition to that over seven assists a game. So when she's taking them on herself, she's a a lock to score. And when she's distributing, she sets up her teammates. Uh, This is just going to be so fun. Yeah, and look, we could get cute here and try and make it about another game on that side, but I'm with you. I think for the women, this is the most exciting game for the entire weekend, and it feels like there's a little bit of a something's-got-to-give moment, too, because Iowa has scored 70 points-plus uh, in every game but one this year, and UConn has held every opponent but one to under 70. So it's like, which side of this is going to give? And and you mentioned uh, Caitlin's ability to make her shot wherever she wants to create her shot. Her range, I mean, mm-hmm. is absolutely... Mm-hmm. When you talk about three-point shooters, I'll give stats and info, the great people behind the scenes at ESPN, some credit for deep diving this. Her shooting percentage from 25-plus feet is actually 42%, and her 23 feet is 39%. So, like, the farther she gets from the basket, the more you're like, okay, fine, I'll give you that shot. She's just going to make it. So, uh, really incredible, her ability to shoot. And I think it's an an incredible moment for her to stand up and get a little shine. She has had that shine sort of dulled this year by all of the attention paid by Paige, which uh, paid to Paige, rightfully so. But I think that's going to make a little bit of a chip on the shoulder moment, too. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, breaking down some of the best action. Let's flip over to Sunday. We'll stick with the women's. Uh, which game on the Sunday side slate has you the most hyped? So this was a little bit tougher for me because it wasn't quite as obvious, but I have to go with the Terps because what we're seeing from them has been unbelievable. So number six, Texas, taking on number two, Maryland, Sunday night. Um the Terps beat Alabama 100-64. to They've scored at least 100 points seven times this season. They're averaging over 91 points a game, which is the ninth most in Division I history for women. They've just been so dominant. Their offense is so strong that I'm just, I just want to see if they could stay um, as hot as they look because, frankly, I took Stanford all the way, and It's hard to pick against anybody but Maryland right now, or maybe Baylor, because Baylor also has the largest point differential two two games in. So I want to see if these teams that have been absolutely beating the brakes off their opponents are consistently that good each round in the tournament, because it's going to be tough to pick against them then. So I kind of went to to something that felt much different than what we'll see in the Iowa-UConn game. This one was really tough for me to figure out which one I was the most excited for, but I took South Carolina taking on Georgia Tech, mostly because of the massive size that we're going to see. And for anyone that hasn't seen, Georgia Tech has one girl that's 6'4", one that's 6'5". I mean, you're talking about the absolute ability to control a game, which is going to be important because everything for South Carolina likes to run right now through a girl in Leah Boston that is 6'4", also. So, like, just the size that you're talking about and the 
ability to just get in there and absolutely beat each other up to go for these points. Like I thought it was going to be the opposite of what I was watching on Saturday. A real, you know, drag down, knock down, drag out sort of fight for every basket. That That's the reason I picked that one. Let's uh, flip over to the men's quick. Uh, what's your Sunday highlight on the men's side? I'm going uh, 11 UCLA at number two Alabama. I know we're running out of time here, so I'll just say that this has been a tournament that we've talked a lot about the underdogs. And after this round, most people think most of those underdogs are going to be gone, at least the double-digit seeds. Looking at this matchup, the Ken Palm model gives US UCLA the best chance to advance of the remaining double digits. So I think that game might be the most exciting um, this far in, as opposed to some of the, the, the higher-seeded teams just knocking off those upstarts. Uh, I'm going to go with Michigan taking on Florida State. And a lot of this, I mean, the shine of Michigan once they lost Isaiah Livers to injury really started to dull. I think that's probably the wrong thing to happen. They're still playing very well, and they have the opportunity to come out and assert themselves. Florida State, when they limit their turnovers, they play incredibly well, but they don't do a great job of limiting turnovers consistently. So I think that's a key to that game. Should be a good one. Uh, Spain and Fitz brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year. Coming up, yesterday's NBA trade deadline was a hot topic until this morning when the NBA said, hold my beer. We'll recap some interesting trades that went down and how they impact the draft next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The previous two drafts, there wasn't a single trade made for any of the top six picks. Today, in the span of 26 minutes, the Dolphins were involved in two trades that involved top six picks, and they've already shaken up the entire NFL draft. What's it mean? We'll tell you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We're going to get straight to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. So here's what happened this afternoon, and this is unusual this far ahead of the draft. What we saw was the 49ers made the first trade. They went in uh, and they traded the number 12 pick, two additional first-round picks, and a third-round pick to the Dolphins for their number three pick. So the Dolphins moved back to number 12, plus they got some extra equity. Uh, that They weren't done, though, though. It only took the Dolphins a few more hours to move back up from 12 to 6 in the next trade that they made, which involved Philadelphia. So we saw all sorts of movements, Sarah, and it has everybody looking specifically at what it means for the quarterback position because there was some conversation about what the Dolphins were going to try to do, what the Dolphins wanted at the quarterback position. Well, now we see the 49ers move up to 3. They've got Jimmy G under contract, but that doesn't matter. You don't move up to three typically unless you're going after a quarterback. Yeah, first of all, let me say RIP to everyone's mock drafts. I just think of all the work that people have done believing that it would hold up for at least a couple more nights or weeks, and now here we are. uh, Just start all over again. And yeah, it's very surprising for a Friday this time for this much movement to happen. Um, You know, the follow-up was not as big as the initial bomb, but it's meaningful, too, that the Eagles sent their number six pick and a fifth rounder to Miami in exchange for that 49ers pick, yada, yada, yada. There's a whole lot going on there. I think we're all focused primarily on how this affects the Dolphins and the 49ers. Um, The Dolphins have so much flexibility now in what they're looking at. And, um, you know, uh, I think Adam Schefter uh, talked about that earlier today. Um, You know, just, just they can look around and... Tua is safe, but there's a lot of pressure on him now, right? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him um, for what they want to do or or where they want to send him. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a conscious decision, and there are certain times that you have a fork in the road that fan bases never forget, and we've joked about it, and hopefully 
someday the jokes will end for you on Mitchell Trubisky and the decision Mitchell Never. Trubisky over you know some of the other Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, right? Well, this is that same sort of situation for, for, for Miami. I mean, it's rare that you're sitting with a quarterback, but then you're also picking so high in the draft that you can look around and say, okay, if we don't like our guy, we're going to have the opportunity to get one of the three best quarterbacks in this draft. So for the rest of Tua's career, he's now going to be linked to whatever quarterback is taken by San Francisco with the number three overall pick. That being said, Miami's obviously gone in and building, uh, they're building long term. I mean, they have two first rounders and two second rounders this year. They have uh, a, a bevy of picks in 2022, and they even have two first rounders already in 2023 because of their actions. So it feels like Miami, a team that spent a lot of money last year building their secondary and in free agency, is now saying, cool, we've got the core we want here. We're going to start to build draft picks up that can help us stay good good for a long period of time. It's an interesting approach, but it feels like the right one. And also worth noting, all the pressure that will be on Tua, what they're probably going to get now at their slightly lower pick is a game-changing wide receiver. This is a wide receiver class that many deem to be generational, that there are so many good selections there. So once you get past the couple quarterbacks at the top, you know, you've got the Falcons picking fourth, and they're probably not looking for another elite wideout. So uh, the Bengals probably looking for a wide receiver at five with A.J. Green gone, but you're still going to have one of those top, top wide receiver names. So Tua's liking that part of it for sure. Uh, you make a great point, Sarah, and I, I will say that if you look at the uh, most mocks, uh, there's there's a couple of guys that are, are absolutely, they think at this point, generational talents. One of those is uh, is Kyle Pitts, who's actually a tight end out of Florida, but can play a lot of different ways. And then Panay Sewell, uh, the offensive lineman out of Oregon, Jamar Chase, the wide receiver out of LSU. All three of them are considered incredible prospects that will plug in day one and be difference-making starters. So when you think about that, by moving down to six, Miami's still going to get their choice of one of those three players. All three of those players are the type of player that you can bank on and say, hey, we still got somebody that is going to be a landmark portion of the franchise moving forward. So from Miami's standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. The question is, what's it mean for Jimmy G and the 49ers? I mean, that's the other the other part of this is everybody tries to figure that out. Mina Kimes was on NFL Live talking today about the 49ers and what their plan and approach is. I think they should, can, will go get a quarterback. I don't know why other reason you would trade that much for that pick and I applaud them for doing it I mean it's bold and it could backfire if they take the wrong quarterback but we've seen what the ceiling of this 49ers team is with Jimmy Garoppolo it was the Super Bowl and they lost largely because of Jimmy Garoppolo we also seen that this team has a floor because uh, they're so well coached under Kyle Shanahan because the defense has been so good. They're never going to be a terrible team. Heck, even last year, half of the roster was obliterated. They were playing with backups and they still won six games. And I think knowing that, San Francisco was aware we might not be in this position again in a draft class like this with quarterbacks available to us like Fields, Lance. Jones. They have options this year, and I think they're going to take a hard look at all of those options, and they're going to you know, choose the one who's best for them. As to whether Jimmy starts or not this year, to me, that just depends on what they can potentially get for him in a trade. Yeah, I mean, Sarah. I think that's a great take on it, right? Like, of course, if it blows up in their face, everyone's going to look back at this as a massive error, but what they have on that team is 
what they need to win minus a QB. And if this is the move they needed to make to capitalize within that window, I applaud them. I hate teams that waste the window when they've got that really strong phase or multiple phases. I totally agree with all of that. I think one of the things we have to keep in mind, too, when we hear Jimmy G's going to be the starter is that many mocks we're going to see are going to have the 49ers taking Trey Lance, who quarterback out of North Dakota State. He played one game this year. He was really going to opt out. They they essentially let him come in, play the one game. Uh, there isn't a lot of film on him. I mean, there just isn't. Like He looks like a spectacular, spectacular prospect in some ways, but we have no idea what he's going to be at the professional level. And the smartest thing to do in that situation, frankly, in my mind, is to give him time to figure out the ropes and figure out exactly what they need from him and see who you have at quarterback and what he needs to develop. So uh, to me, it makes total sense that Jimmy G's not going anywhere because, frankly, when you do have this window, you don't want to turn it over to a quarterback that last year played one game for a small school. Like You want to keep Jimmy G? You want to develop Lance over time, and then you can pass the torch next year just make sure you get the prospects you like yeah yeah I mean I think what's fascinating now too is because this is so early is what happens between now and the draft like we're we're used to reacting to this stuff in the moment that it happens on draft night and then watching the flips and watching teams scramble to figure out what to make of it there's a lot of time for people to look at this and make decisions based on it which leads me to one last little thing to drop into the convo which is (laughs) That while everyone's talking about all the quarterbacks going to go high in this draft and everybody moving around to go get them, Mel Kuyper drops this on everyone. Well, there's a quarterback out there that's better than any of the quarterbacks in this draft except for Trevor Lawrence, and that's Sam Darnold. So if I were the Pete Carroll with the USC connection, I'm looking at the Jets, and I'm looking at Sam Darnold. If you're going to move Russell Wilson and I get Sam Darnold, I can live with that over any other quarterback in this draft other than Trevor Lawrence, and he's going to go to Jacksonville. So that ain't happening. So I'm not worrying about Russell Wilson in comparison with any other quarterback in this draft. The quarterback I would target would be Sam Darnold. That's an interesting take. I mean... Meanwhile, everyone else is starting to say maybe not going to get as much as people thought, and here he storms in with better. I mean, the thing of it is, like, he may not be better, but also we don't know. Like, I just mentioned Trey Lance and the question marks around him. Zach Wilson at BYU, I mean, he had a great year, and everybody's in love with him. But, again, there are a lot of question marks. Like, it's... It is not an exact science, and, and we've said that a lot on the show, but this presumption that the first four picks are all going to be quarterbacks and that all four of them are going to succeed, I mean, just statistically, that's wrong. That's not the way it works anymore. So at least with Darnold, there's a little proof of concept. Yeah, I don't know, though. It's very hard for me to divorce anything that Darnold has done from the team he's on. And I know that's such a cop-out, but I keep coming back to it because I have no idea what he could do in a different spot. You're totally right. I think the one thing is that Tannehill was so bad under Gase and now got mm-hmm. mega paid by the Titans. I wonder if that's part of everybody's <laughs> mindset. That's some straight right. talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Coming up, speaking of quarterbacks, there's one that's in the news a lot lately, but not for good reasons. We'll discuss his future next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday! On ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to do some sports tinder later. We're going to get back into lots of attorney talk with the law firm of Metcalf and McNutt uh, coming on to talk men's and women's <laughs> tournament. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find all sorts of uh, digital-only content there. Sometimes we do some pre-parties and after-parties. And, of course, any parts of the show that you miss. 
Joining us now to talk about the continuing saga of Deshaun Watson and all of the latest facts that have come out from the athletic Jenny Dial Creech. Jenny, thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to start uh, very micro and ask you just about what mm-hmm. the response and, and, and reaction to the growing case against or allegations against Deshaun Watson, how that's been received locally. Uh, pretty mixed. I mean, I think, look, overall, the, the reaction to the Texans lately has been, it's just been one thing after another with this team, a lot of lows this year. So I think a lot of people were just already feeling so dejected. And then to hear this news about a player who really is worshipped here um, a month after they lose, you know, the the other guy, J.J. Watt, I think was, was really a big blow. So people are pretty dejected overall, you know, in terms of, as you, as you guys know, every time there's a case like this, it immediately becomes people taking sides. Like, there's no way he could have done that or, you know, what a terrible person. Um, it's been really interesting just because of the players in this, with, you know, with his lawyer. His lawyer has, or the lawyer that, that filed the lawsuits against him, has been a character in this city for a really long time. Um, he ran for mayor here. He's pretty eclectic and, and pretty vocal. And as you guys know, the way that it that it was handled right from the get-go, put out on Instagram and social media prior to anything being filed, um, it, it feels like a little bit of a circus. And so I think at least some of that is starting to go away now that there are lawsuits and there, there are things to actually look at that are documented. And we've seen so many of them. It's not just this, you know, media circus between a couple of lawyers anymore. We're talking to Jenny Dow Creech from the Athletics, Spain and Fitz there, Spain, just Jason Fitz. So, Jenny, I mean, to be real, we live in a world where around the NFL draft, teams hire private investigators and shadow prospects. Mm-hmm. Like, teams go out and get their own information. At this point, do we have any any indication of what Houston's doing to try and get as much information for them as they can? I, you know, I'm curious about that, too, just because of the way that this whole situation has been working in Houston. I mean, they've they've had so much turnover. They've had so many people in and out. They've had so much drama with their personnel in the front office. It really makes you wonder, like, who's doing the work right now on this part of it? Um, You know, a few weeks ago, the drama was, are they going to even be able to keep Deshaun Watson? And now it's, should they? And do they want to? And what's the trade market like for him? And you wonder... Who in the front office were the moving pieces when there's been so much ter- turmoil and turnover in these last few months? Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Jenny Dalcreech of The Athletic. Jenny, you know, one of the things that's so difficult with sports, and we talk about this all the time when there's mm-hmm. allegations of this nature, is unlike another job, it does affect the participant to be sort of put on hold. But but I would argue, especially mm-hmm. because of the timing of this and it occurring during the off season that the commissioner's exempt list is a great place to put someone with this many allegations against them where he'll still be paid. He isn't missing out on any mm-hmm. games and they can sort of pause everything because I don't know what message the NFL is saying with limping out with a very minimal statement and then essentially doing nothing. while however long this investigation might go. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you, Sarah, because the exemption list has always been a little bit confusing to me. Like, if you're going to use it, use it. And this is the exact situation that you would. Um, we're not talking about one or two, you know, pending lawsuits. It's up to 16 right now and a possible 22 that we know of that 
that could come. I mean, those numbers are alarming. And if you sit down and you read through these lawsuits, the language and the situations, there are so many similarities that you just cannot ignore it. You can't just say, oh, but he's such a squeaky clean, good guy. Couldn't be him. Like we have to get past that. And that's what this list is supposed to be about. And there's no reason they shouldn't go to that right now. We're talking to Jenny Dalcreech from the Athletic Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I just I, I continue to look at all this and look. Let's be let's be very transparent here. N- n- nothing matters on the football side when you're talking about what we're talking about. But we do have to ask some right. football questions. Like for for Houston, I mean, how does any of this impact what they're trying to get done at the draft? Not knowing what their situation looks like at quarterback at all, or or if they can move mm-hmm. him or how they can move him. Yeah, and I mean, right before all this broke, they were standing pat that they wouldn't move him, and we thought we were going to have a holdout situation. And now, I mean, there's so many questions because with everything going on with Watson, would he even try to hold out at this point if Houston does still you know, want to play him and keep him? There's so much in the air, and they already had so many you know, problems going into this draft. It's like I said, I, you know, I don't envy the new GM of this team, the new coach. Like this is a lot to come in and deal with when you thought you were just going to deal with the fact that there was a lot of bad trades last year and that you need to figure out how to keep Deshaun Watson happy. Now you have this entire other layer of do we even keep him? If we can't keep him, who wants him? Does anyone want to mess with this? How many more lawsuits are going to come out? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just so much. And they, they do not have a good, reliable backup option now. So I think you have to go into the draft thinking about that. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Jenny Dal Creech of The Athletic about the latest allegations against Deshaun Watson, or I guess the sum total of them at this point. I've seen, you know, that, that Deshaun Watson's lawyer is claiming that at least one of the women offered up that it was consensual months ago while looking for some sort of payout. And he's trying to use that to argue that all of them uh, are extortion. Um, and that's certainly, again, coming mm-hmm. from his word, there's no proof as of yet that we know of that she ever said that or, or ever claimed that it was consensual. We're also seeing that people are arguing that the fact that there are at least one victim who had concurrent texts and 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 witnesses saying that right afterwards – uh, she told friends and family um, to say what had happened and that she was in shock and that it wasn't okay, that that makes a big difference. Having someone who can, within that short amount of time right after, have claimed it, um, of course, would go against any accusations that this was a mm-hmm. gathered together group, you know, being co- coerced into making claims. Are you hearing any other bits of information about the allegations that people are trying to pull anything from? Because it's it's... There's not a lot to work with, which is fine. And we've been saying all along, we don't need to have a take. But those are the takes I'm hearing so far. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten a few calls from from people who are like this, you know, a lot of this was consensual. And the thing about that, you have to be really careful, um, it, you know, us in the media who are covering this, you know, anybody who's speculating, you have to be so careful when you're talking about consent, because truly, you guys get this, like something can start as consensual and, and change, you know, both parties need to be in agreement to something as long as it's going on. So this is really complicated because the only two people who know if it was a hundred percent consensual are the two that were in the room and involved. So 
hearing that kind of stuff from a third party or from a source that wasn't there, it's just too hard to take that, that kind of information in. And I've heard that a few times. I mean, the, I'll just tell you guys, like, I, and I don't know what to think. I, I have no, like, opinion on this, but here's what I know just from, again, I think it's really important to stick to, to what's documented, to the facts that are out there, to really read the lawsuit, to not make any assumptions. And one thing that, you know, is a big red flag to me is you have so many of these um, women who, you know, are in the massage industry who'd never worked on athletes. If you're Deshaun Watson, you have access to the best in the world, you know? So if you're seeking out people who aren't even an expert on your field, like to me, that's a red flag. That's something to really look into finding people on Instagram, messaging them there. Um, I saw something today about how he was giving out NDAs. I don't think a non-disclosure agreement is weird for an athlete to give out to anybody who works with him. So that's not something that I think is a huge story by any means. I think athletes give those out to a lot of people in their circles. Um, So there are some red flags. There's a lot to look at, but I really think a, that there's going to be more of these that come out. There's always strength in numbers. If, something happened to you that you were a little bit unsure of and there was a power struggle, but then you see other women coming forward. We know how that works. We know that it gives you a little bit more bravery and strength to come forward. I do think we're going to see more. I'm curious to see if these are settled out of court, if they go to court, how all of this plays out. I don't think it's going to happen quickly. Um, I think it's a really unfortunate situation because Deshaun Watson is, is young in his career and, a very talented uh, football player who I know we've all really enjoyed watching. Um, But I also think that doesn't excuse this type of behavior. And if, if something fishy is going on here and if there is predatory behavior, you know, there needs to be punishment for that and there needs to be consequences. So it's going to be really interesting and it's, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Jenny, I completely agree with you on, on that last bit too, about, um, most of these folks you would imagine would have one, maybe two go-to masseuses that would work with them that focus on sports massage that have been recommended by the team or have otherwise been vet. Like it's very strange mm-hmm. to have this many different people doing the work and to have many of them not, not be experts in, in the field. Um, that That's a very strange thing. Uh, we appreciate all the insight and the coverage of it. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you guys. Y'all have a good one. Jenny Dal Creech of The Athletic with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier. With more than 30 coverage options available, Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, who you shouldn't root for this weekend as the NCAA tournament rolls on. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We spent a lot of time talking about the NCAA and their unequal treatment of the men and women during the tournament this year. And a lot of people have tried to boil it down to revenue, which is interesting because a non-for-profit with unpaid labor that uses amateurism as a crutch for every single debate against their practices, suddenly it's all about the money and revenue. That's interesting. I thought it was never about that. I thought it was about student (laughs) athletes. But in this case, everyone rushes 
to argue that anything that's been happening in terms of the men and women not getting equal treatment is valid because the men make more money. Forgetting, of course, that if you don't invest in something, it's less likely to make money. And forgetting, of course, that yet again, the NCAA is a nonprofit set out to create equal environments in the spirit of Title IX, amateurism and equality. Uh, Instead, we find that there's a $13.5 million budget gap between the men's basketball and women's basketball tournaments. And you're some surprising voices that don't seem to care. It's Spain and Fed, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We've talked about the Sedona Princes who made that TikTok video and went on CNN. We've talked about the Nell Fortners who are writing sarcastic letters uh, with, you know, scathing uh, uh, attacks on the NCAA for what they've done. What we really haven't talked about is the very strange coaches that seem Fitz to be somehow taking the side of the NCAA. And not in a nuanced way that says, well, let's focus on basketball, but in a way that seems to say, listen, you know, we're just grateful to be here and we're not in a position to complain. Everything we've got here is fine, including the Iowa State Cyclones uh, basketball coach who, who said, my girls don't even like to lift weights, so it's fine. It's fine that we don't have a weight room. I mean, all, I, like, I couldn't believe this stuff as I was reading it, Fitz. I think the the hardest part about all of that when you read it is understanding, you know, trying trying to put myself in their shoes and where they're coming from. But realistically, the, the thing that coaches need to remember is that everything they say is going to be scrutinized by future recruits. And I, I, I find myself saying that a lot this fall about college football and social issues and, and the way different coaches were handling it. And I think it's important right now what we're seeing across the landscape, particularly for the women in, in the tournament, is how many women are using their voice. It's become really important to a lot of the players that play the game. So now as a coach, you're going to have to sit in the living room and explain why you just felt that this isn't a big deal. I'm not sure that that's a message you really want to spread, not just for the future of your sport, but also for the future of your own recruiting capabilities when you come in and essentially say, yeah, no, we we realize we we just don't lift weights. We don't work as hard as other players do, or we're not as worried about uh, no equal treatment. I mean, that's the wrong message that I would think from a coach coaching standpoint that you'd ever want to send to prospective players. Oh, absolutely. If I'm getting recruited and I see that, that just doesn't sound like someone who's got my back. In fact, um, I saw a, a, a high school basketball team, the Burlington, Massachusetts high school girls basketball that was retweeting uh, the quotes from the Iowa state coach and said, if I saw this as a recruit, nope. Here's a bit of the quote from Iowa state coach, Bill Fenley. I guess I'm on the other side of it. On the other side of equality? I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of discussion about things that don't matter. I know there's an equity issue, and I understand that. I coach women's basketball. But with all the things that have gone on in the world, the focus, I think, should be on all the effort to make this possible to get our kids to play. Our travel was great. Our hotel was great. Our food has been good, everything. And I get some people are upset about it, and that's fine. And then goes on to say, of course, it's ironic about the weight room because our players don't like to go to the weight room. (sighs) Okay. So then then there's that, which I think is, is a massive problem. And then what what also is a problem is the idea of just being grateful. And uh, women's coach Terry Morin of, of, Indiana Univer- of Indiana University basketball said something very similar. It's not impacted us a bit. We've come a long ways. We still have a long ways to go. But I'm not going to complain because that would be a waste of time, right? And it would take us away from the opportunity to talk about this basketball team and this great tournament that we're in. I couldn't disagree more, Fitz. This is when all eyeballs are on the NCAA, and you have to complain. You have to make things uncomfortable. You have to point a finger at this inequality, or else they'll just keep giving you what you've always gotten. Um, This quote from Glennon Doyle, we're trained to believe that we're supposed to be grateful all the time. 
And if we can imagine more, that means we're not grateful enough. When really, if we can imagine more, that might mean that we're meant for more. We need to be grateful and we need to demand more. And that's not going to happen if coaches keep giving the NCAA a pass. It's it's so interesting to me to try and think like, I put shoe on the other foot. Like it's a game I like to play. Put yourself in their situation and, and try and figure out what they're thinking, right? I don't understand what the benefit is in just going along with the norm when we all know the norm isn't working. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're not getting the support that you need, if you're not being allowed to use the brand of March Madness, if you're not getting the opportunity to grow what your sport is, I mean, how often do we see sports talking about, in different sports, talking about growth in numbers, growth in playing, growth in attendance, growth in, in TV ratings? Like, these are all real conversations that happen because it's important to say, hey, things are going the right way. So the only way you make that happen is if you continue to raise awareness to everything that it takes to grow. And we always hear, you got to spend money to make money. I mean, the, the concept that you're just going to be really glad that you're there is so defeated from the time that you walk in. You're not fighting for anything for a sport that needs growth. I mean, in, in everything that you're doing at that point, you're fighting for some opportunity to get attention. And I will say quickly, Sarah, like the, the money conversation in general that we hear so much about, and I know you referenced it earlier with the men's tournament, all I would implore anybody is before you try and have that conversation about the men's tournament and the money that's made, look at how the money's distributed. Because I will remind everybody that 40% of the money uh, that comes in from the entire tournament is basically sent out to all the conferences and it's split equally in most conferences for every team. So you want to tell me that a team that didn't even make the tournament deserves money, but a team that actually made the tournament in the women's side doesn't because that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So I, I just think that the people are using one metric monetarily to support it. And for the people on the women's side to accept that would be absolutely staggering to me. Well, and they're also deciding when and where to use their arguments, right? They rely on amateurism when they need to deflect accusations of unpaid labor or exploitation, but then they fall back on revenue as an excuse for their accusations of inequity. Like, you can't pick and choose when it's about money and when it can't be about money because then you have to argue, you know, that the entire amateur model is in shambles. Um, It's exactly what it always has been. It's an excuse to profit off of unpaid labor while pretending to follow the spirit of amateurism and the student-athlete experience. I mean, it's ironic because the NCAA brings up gender equity as part of certification of schools. So if that matters to you is whether a team qualifies and can participate in your tournaments, but it doesn't actually get borne out in the actions that you take, it's complete BS. Uh, And by the way, um, I'm not telling you not to root for those teams. That was a tease for something else. Maybe we'll get to that later in the show. I'm sure those young ladies are doing their best. I feel sorry that their coaches are not battling on their behalf, and I'm sure they would defend their coaches, but I would ask them 10 or 15 years from now when they're not so stuck under the thumb of what society has always told us about what we deserve and what we should be grateful for if they would still defend their coaches tucking their tail between their legs and not standing up for them. That's all I would say. Myron Metcalf going to join us next to talk about the biggest games on the men's slate this weekend. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast where you get all sorts of goodness. Just get out there wherever you get your podcast. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The NCAA tournament is back this weekend. That means we can get all giddy, and I can realize how much trash is left in my bracket. It's bad. So let's head over to the Goodyear hotline, where maybe I'll be comforted through the process, as we're joined by ESPN senior writer Myron Metcalf. Myron, thank you so much for the time. How's your bracket doing, buddy? Oh, my bracket's terrible, man. 
Yes, yeah, so, I mean, if you want like an expert opinion, y'all should call somebody else because uh, things are not things are not looking very good for me. I got to be honest, Myron. I've talked to a lot of our guys here over the course of the last week, and every one of them says their brackets are good. Who's actually winning these bracket contests? Because it seems like it's none of us. It's people's uncles who've never watched the the games this season. It's like six year olds and seven year olds entering. Like those are the people who always win these things. It's never guys like me. Um, so I'm used to this feeling, certainly. Yeah, you need a lot more random chance uh, to win this year. Yeah. So the experts are going to try too hard. You need someone who just kind of whip their way through it. Um, let's get into some of the matchups this weekend. Earlier in the show, Fitz and I talked about um, some of our faves. And if people want a really great breakdown, Myron was on ESPN Daily and and will take you through all of them. We don't have time for all of them, so we focused on just a couple. And one of those for me was this UCLA game at Alabama. Ken Palm model gives them the best chance to emerge of the double-digit seeds. Do you agree with that, or you have your eyes on a different upset? I actually think Syracuse-Houston might be uh, the most interesting uh, kind of double-digit seed. Like, Alabama's very, very good. The thing about Alabama that's tough is they play very fast, extremely fast, um, but they don't turn the ball over a ton. They they still play efficiently, and because of how athletic they are, they can all switch. So everyone on that team, uh, no matter what happens, uh, they can play and guard any position. That makes them really difficult to kind of score against. Whereas, like, Syracuse, what Buddy Beheim is doing right now, and I said this on the pocket, like, Buddy Beheim's numbers right now for Syracuse are better than Carmelo Anthony's numbers were in 2003 for Syracuse during the, turn- during the title run. Like, that's how well he's playing right now. And it just seems like he can't miss and maybe he's on a mission. So I'd watch that game as well for a double-digit seed. Myron, when you're on that sort of a roll, but you've had this little gap, like how hard is it to keep whatever that momentum is that you've had as a player? You know, I just wonder if these guys are actually even more focused. Like when you look around and what's happening down here, they can't go anywhere. Like there are signs on buildings. If you leave this facility, you're leaving the bubble and you risk being quarantined. There's security set up around the team hotels, police officers stationed in front of the entrances. Like, this is a different kind of environment. So I actually wonder if these guys are more focused because they didn't have to go home between games, didn't have to worry about all that. They've just been here and kind of locked in. So I think to me uh, that makes these guys, it puts them in a better position maybe to maintain that momentum you're talking about. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, our buddy Jay Billis reseeded the tournament in the Sweet 16. I'm just going to go top eight or so. You let me know if any of these strike you as, as not uh, not the way you would have gone. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Alabama, Houston, Oregon, Florida State, USC, Loyola. You still good with all these? Arkansas, Villanova. I got Loyola high. I got Loyola higher. I mean, yeah, to me, me Loyola is number five, five or six. They're higher to me. Like at the end of the day, Loyola just beat to me the best team not named Gonzaga, and they didn't just beat them. They beat them mm-hmm. from start to finish. Like what they did against Illinois to me says. Well, Chicago can do anything other than maybe beat Gonzaga. I mean, that's how well they're playing right now. So I have them a little higher. The Pac-12 teams are all good. Um, I think USC, the challenge with them is that the first team in the expansion era to get to the Sweet 16 with one game uh, on their belt. It's not their fault. You know, they didn't advance themselves. VCU had to withdraw. But it is an interesting situation. And I think USC is good. I don't think they're as good as that margin of victory set against Kansas. Like, I don't know if they're going to hit 61% of their threes again. And I think Kansas coming in with some of their COVID-related challenges, I don't know if that was the same Kansas team. But Loyola Chicago, to me, 
deserves more respect uh, based on what they've done so far. We're talking to Myra Metcalf as we get ready for the uh, the tournament over the course of the weekend. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Myron, I know the injury situation has made it a little bit diffi- more difficult to buy in on Michigan, but have we just underestimated them at this point? It feels like they're gone from the conversation completely. I think just Gonzaga has been elevated so much and everyone's thinking about the perfect season, and that's why maybe Michigan looks like it's maybe uh, underrated. But, I mean, everyone knows how good Michigan is and how good they've been all season. Dwan Howard's best coach in America, national coach of the year. To, to me, it's just interesting because you lose a guy like Isaiah Livers who's averaging like 13 points a game, hitting more than 40% of his threes. Like, usually that's going to damage a team and put him in a bad spot. But Michigan has so much depth, and they got just so many guys who've been able to step up. And I think that, to me, is the reason they're the Big Ten team that's still standing uh, because of that depth. So I think Michigan is what we thought they were uh, heading into the NCAA tournament. They're just the only Big Ten team that actually proved it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Myron Metcalf. Let's talk about Chaka Smart. He heads to Marquette. Uh, First of all, I still can't accept the hair. I know it's been a while, but like every time (laughs) I pull up another article, I'm like, ah, no. Um, What do you make of this move? Well, I'm from Milwaukee, so if he needs a barbershop, he should call me. I'll hook him up. I know (laughs) where to send him. He does. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it seems like it's a win for everybody. You know, Shaka wasn't going to stay at Texas. I mean, that wasn't going to work out, whether he left or whether they fired him. I mean, it seemed like it was the perfect opportunity for him to leave. And I think Marquette was looking for a name that they think can resonate in that part of the country. Shaka's from Wisconsin, born and raised there. And I think he understands the landscape of trying to recruit Milwaukee and Minneapolis and Chicago, which are the cities you have to hit if you're going to try to win at a place like Marquette. Um, and I think it's just a, it's a good move. Now, I don't know what you do in the Big East because that's such a tough league. And to me, it's a lot like what he faced in the, in the Big 12 where you can be really good and still finish fifth or sixth in that conference. That's how good it is. But I think it's sort of a win-win uh, for everybody involved. Yeah, well, win-win. That would be more wins than Shaka had in the NCAA tournament with Texas. Wow. What went wrong there? Oh, come whoa, on. I had whoa. to. I had to do it. Come what on, went wrong man. there? This is a family-friendly <laughs> show, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, But seriously, like in, in when you look back at it, where did he fail at Texas? He, was, he just didn't win enough. I mean, I don't know if it's that more complicated than that. He got NBA guys. Um, he, he recruited the hot spots in Houston and Dallas. Um, he had the potential. He just couldn't get it done in the postseason. And there's just nothing you can say about it other than that. If you lose in the NCAA tournament, you don't advance, and you're hired to do just that, uh, you're not going to stick around for, for very long. And I think to lose to Abilene Christian, an in-state school, uh, with a fraction of the Texas budget, that to me felt like, okay, this isn't going to work out. He's probably going to have to move on somewhere. Uh, But I do think if you recruit well at Texas, and you can, especially if you hit Dallas and Houston, you can win big there. And I think if Shaka had somehow found a way to advance to a Sweet 16 maybe a few times, we'd be having a different conversation. But we're still talking about the VCU run instead of thinking about what he did at Texas because he didn't win a game in the tournament. And I think that's something that will always affect his legacy. Hey, quickly, before we let you go, I have to ask, what kind of job do you think Indiana is? I've heard a lot of people say it's just not what it used to be and they're going to have a lot of trouble getting the kind of talent that many might imagine. It's a great job if you want a bunch of people thinking you can be a Final Four team because the year is 1985. So <laughs> if that's what you want, then it's a great job. 
it's a good job if people are going to be reasonable. Yeah. Uh, that, you know what? That That is spot on. Myron, as always, we appreciate your analysis. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Enjoy your weekend of incredible games. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out. Thank you. All right. Myron Metcalf brought to you by Goodyear. Celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings. Visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. All right. Speaking of brackets, the pandemic madness bracket for Spain and Fitz continues rolling on. Did we get a massive upset last night? We'll tell you about it today and get you this bracket for today. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM channel lady presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. I don't want to say we've been in the zone lately, but, man, we are having a good time with the pandemic madness bracket. We'll get you updated on that. Speaking of the zo- in the zone, the Kings, De'Aaron Fox, in the zone last night, scored 44 points in a win against the Warriors. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Now, I find myself, Sarah, in the middle of the night after, you know, having, uh, you know, a Flintstones uh, vitamin or two. The, uh, <laughs> ma- most of the time I'm looking at our pandemic madness bracket to see where we are. And we almost, it got tight. Like we, a one seed almost fell last night as Zoom parties was the top. They were taking on the Great British Baking Show. I thought they would run away with it. They did not. Uh, let's get everybody the pandemic madness update. Spain and Fitz present Pandemic Madness. F*** you, 2020. That's right. We're blowing up 2020. But first, we're acknowledging the few things that helped get us through the weirdest year of all of our lives. And you are absolutely correct. There was a lot of people hating on Zoom parties. I thought for sure that was going down. But I think a lot of people realized that uh, it was one of the few ways to actually get to see anybody you knew if you weren't just violating COVID protocols all year. Yeah, of all the cooking shows, I mean, when I saw Great British Baking Show, I'm like, man, okay, that, that it, that's a great show, but man, is it going to have the legs? Well, that was 54 to 46. That was a close one. That was the only close one last night, though, as the rest of the bracket was full of absolute just blowouts. We had a two-seed and Ted Lasso just destroy indoor plants. I also revealed to the world last night that I've never seen Ted Lasso, and I also hate indoor plants. So in the spirit yeah, of that, wild, I, I didn't so vote weird. in that one because I felt like I wouldn't. I Why wasn't do you hate voter. indoor plants? Uh, my mom. And, you know, there's so many things to hate based on my life with my mom. But, uh, no, she was, was like say, big on. Say no more, friend. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, like, had to have a plant everywhere when I was a kid. So there were just times that, like, she's sort of a borderline hoarder. And as a result, I am a, like, absolute minimalist in everything. And so, they, like, there were times that I'd walk in and you could barely walk through the room because there'd be, like, 72 plants in the room, some hanging Thanks. from the ceiling. And you're like, where That's did you get many. the hooks to hang that? So That's I'm out. Many. But you did say you got a lot of plants during the, the so whole So I will right? say I did get a lot of plants. I love my plants. But somehow 28 plants doesn't feel like that many spread out all over the house. And I don't have any hanging. I do not like hanging plants. It is a rare time when someone has just the right sort of style to have a hanging, a hanging plant that looks nice and, and sort of architectural instead of like, I don't know, a little dumpy. Can I can I have a confessional moment here with this? Yeah. I, I, I stood at a store for like 20 minutes a few months ago with a mask on, by the way. Stood at the store for like 20 minutes debating this tiny succulent, like just one of those oh, little- succulents like, are the best. Yeah. It was cute. And I was like, man, that's really cute. It would look good in the house. But then I'd be bringing a plant into the house. And I don't know how oh. I feel about that. So, Maybe you yeah, should talk to your therapist about this. <laughs> 
This feels like the therapy something already lost in the earlier bracket. Deeper than the succulent. <laughs> Probably. Uh, but speaking of therapy, I get therapy from video games. I'm not the only one. Video games crushed versus battles. A little surprised. 87 to 13 on that percentage. I mean, that was a runaway. It's just time just, spent. I, was, I think it's time ugh. spent. There's only so many versus battles, and there are plenty of people that spend almost all of their time playing video games. Yeah, that is probably fair. I, I felt like there was a period there where I was like, man, I've played more Madden in quarantine than I have in the last decade. And uh uh, grow, going bra or pantsless, as as expected, uh, really just thumped Taylor Swift. So no yeah. offense to, to Taylor Swift. We all love uh, Taylor Swift on the show, but didn't yeah. stand a chance. Just going top commando we like a little better is all. But again, I'll just warn everyone, be careful on the stairs. It seems like a great idea. If you get moving at a high rate of speed, it can be a real danger for you, depending on what you're working <laughs> with. Uh, Not going to unsee that in my mind. Uh Yeah. The Northwest region of pandemic madness has been unveiled at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. You can start your voting on the latest, uh, the latest. And listen, I-, I got a lot of people complaining about some of these seatings, and I just want to go through and explain a couple of them. Number one, still complain about the Bernie meme. That was like two days. I'll give you three days if you want to push it. It was awesome. It was funny. It did not get me through 2020. First of all, it happened in 2021, so it shouldn't even be in the bracket. I just realized that. And number but two, I will say this: the committee always rewards the last ten games coming in, and right before the right before the seating, it was hot. It was hot, so, but uh, if yeah. it beats Last Dance, I'm quitting the show. I should never say <laughs> stuff like that because then that's how you get everyone to just hop on board. Everyone who hates me is like sharing it. Hey, vote for this. We'll get her off the radio. Um, a lot of people complaining about a five seed for Tiger King. I, I'm doing what you're saying, which is the opposite, which is early season favorite that really fizzled down the stretch. A lot of people, by the time Tiger King, Joe Exotic, was ordering a car to sit outside the jail he's in just in case he was pardoned by Donald Trump. A lot of people weren't big fans of him or the show by then. Carol Baskin was on Dancing with the Stars. People don't know if she's a murderer. It was awkward. She was a terrible dancer. It just, it, 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 we were all in it together. It was sort of like uh, when people bond during a hostage situation or a war. Like we needed it in the time. It brought us all together. And I'd rather not think about it anymore. Look, I think Tiger King is a little bit like the Steelers were last year in the NFL season when they were 10 and 0, like early mm-hmm. on undefeated. And because it was just the best we had, we accepted that that was the best yeah. we were going to get. But you knew there were holes in it. And now uh, I'm with you. Like Tiger King is not necessarily all of the things we've we've had to deal with with the stars of Tiger King post Tiger King has really uh, faded it a little bit. It's up against D Nice Club Quarantine, and if you haven't checked that out, you've really missed one of the biggest joys I think of uh, 2020. Something that I hope he continues. And I'm just saying that openly to Shill so that we can get him on the show. I mean, at some yeah, point. we yeah. should really have him on. See if. If Tiger King wins, first of all, it's going to be an example of our country having terrible taste, which we already knew. And also probably a little bit of a two Americas thing if people have not been a part of club quarantine. And that's a shame. Uh, If you haven't been a part of it, I would think you'd be mashing that four seed if you had any experience at all with club quarantine. It was a delight and a joy, and it it brought me a lot of happiness. And talk about a Q rating glow up. D nice. Holy cow. I mean, a lot of people knew about him, but he like you'd be in that club quarantine and just the comment section would be a who's who kind of like the versus battles, but uh, more of just a a jam depending on the night. Um, Pet snuggles. 
it's a three seed mainly because not everyone has them and understands that they're everything that, that makes life go round. But that's uh, that's going to be real tough to beat for online shopping, a six seed. And then, you know, long walks. Some people might not think they're that great for a lot of us. That is what got us through to the point where countries that were under full strict quarantine, no one's allowed to leave the house. They would still give people a 20 to 30 minute break midday to leave the house and walk around. That's how much it was like essential to life. So that might take John Krasinski's some good news, which didn't last for all that long, but was a delight while it was while it was out there. Yeah, I think long walk stands a better chance. I mean, we've seen some of the outdoor activities, though, really get pounded in this bracket so far. So, you know, I think long walks, though, is, is sort of, uh, you know, it, it's such a – it doesn't have to mean long walks. It can mean long for you. Like, if you don't usually walk and you walk two blocks, that's still a long walk. You know, I think walks stand a good chance there. Online shopping is a little sneaky for me. I'll obviously take – pet snuggles giving the fact that i have like a you know a, a zoo full of dogs but uh, you know online shopping was a real eye-opener for me I've, I've never i've always been sort of a pick and touch as they say in the south you want to go pick and touch like i've, I've always been I've i gotta see it that. i gotta know it oh yeah it's a southern thing i gotta like see it and know it before i buy it and that has definitely changed because of 2020 i finally had to give in and just yeah. be like all right i'll buy it and return it if i don't like it boy i have just i have let me just I tell you where not to pick and touch France, because I went to France as a teenager and I did the thing where like you're pulling each hanger to the right to get a better look at everything. And I was treated like Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman when they won't serve her. It was not great. It was a scene. I was I was barely able to understand what they were telling me in French, but I realized stop touching everything. <laughs> oh man, that is that you guys can get out at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Get out there and vote. We're almost through the first round, so we'll keep you updated on the results. But in the meantime, coming up, we're gonna get you caught up on everything you need to know about the women's bracket coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There are a handful of fantastic games coming up this weekend on the women's side of the NCAA tournament. None bigger than the one between two freshmen that could be dominating this sport for the next couple years. The highest score in the league, the presumptive player of the year, Iowa versus UConn, Clark versus Beckers. But let's talk about all of them with an expert. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, Monica McNutt. Monica McNutt. Can't say that too fast. ACC and wow, this is too hard for me right now. Monica McNutt, ACC and CBB analyst, uh, just our friend. Now you know how show. I feel, by the way, reading anything, Sarah. So I'm I just know, saying, you know it just takes me, me till till late of a Friday show to finally reach where you are every day, where my brain That's is broken. <laughs> uh, Monica, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Hey guys, um, happy Friday evening. Also, I don't know who queued up the Backyard Band version of Hello Remix. As I came into the show, I feel so welcomed and loved. That's my jam. Yeah, I think that might uh, that might be our buddy Cliff. So we'll send. We him might need to keep out. that on file then, as Monica's like official play That's in music song? every time Perfect. she joins That's us. A, I like that. I like that, Fitz. I like that. Love it. Uh, let's start with the obvious: number five Iowa versus number one UConn. What can you add to the incredible coverage this game and this matchup is already getting? Um, you want me to be like hype it up, or you want me to be real about it? Whatever you, whatever you got that you think is interesting that everyone needs to know about it. Okay, so the most interesting part to me is not actually the scoring. I think it's the assist numbers that both Paige and Caitlin put up. Caitlin puts up seven assists per game, and Paige is putting up six per game. Um, I don't think that these teams necessarily match up well. Uh, UConn is a team that was in the top five for the mo- most of the season. Iowa bounced in and out of the top twenty-five, but you know, miracles happen in March. Um, 
could Caitlin Clark be the equivalent of what we've seen from Steph Curry, you know, over the course of infamous tournament runs? Possibly. Um, but I, I just think that UConn has grown so much over the course of this, se- this season. And Gino has talked quite candidly about even though this group is young and doesn't have any seniors, the talent, he's like, when we're good, we're really good. And compared to last year's unit, that's sort of struggled by UConn standards. Um, he takes this group uh, higher first over that group. So um, I think it's going to be a great display of scoring. I'm not – I'm feeling like Aubrey Griffin, Kristen Williams – Aubrey Griffin comes off the bench. Kristen Williams starts. Maybe a little bit of Avina Westbrook. I'm curious to see who's going to guard Clark, um, but I, we probably won't see man for the duration of this game versus UConn. But it won't – I don't really see it being a straight-up page Caitlin matchup on both sides of the ball. That being said, Monica, we were talking about it earlier, and, and Paige's greatness has sort of eclipsed some of the shine that Caitlin would have gotten in a lot of seasons for how well she's played. So for anybody that's watching this game on ABC, it's a big, big opportunity for women's basketball in this. I mean, if you're watching Caitlin for the first time, describe what people should be looking for in her game. Man, there's not a way that she can't score, Fitz. I mean, she's not going to go on the block per se, but she would take a smaller guard there. She stands about six one. Um she would take a smaller guard on the block and she can post up. But she can shoot the lights out the ball from behind the arc. She's great and very crafty off the dribble and off the bounce. Um, she could just fill it up. I think these two obviously played AAU ball together. They both hail from the Midwest. They're super sweet girls. And both have made it a point to say that the matchup is not about them individually. <laughs> That's cute. That's real cute, girls. But, yes, it is. And this is what we're looking forward to. Um, so I, just, I would tell folks to look out for how she scores how cerebral she is with the basketball, and her ability to pass. You're right that she probably would have been freshman of the year if not for running up against Paige. Like, this is Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, whoever you want to say blocks the greats in their era. Um, but I actually think Paige is going to have the opportunity to leave early, and Caitlin might as well, but I wonder if she would stay to see if any more of those team accolades could fall her way that kind of almost taken for granted when you were a Husky jersey. Monica McNutt with us here, college basketball analyst here on Spain and Fitz. I'm going to take Charlie Cream's reseeding of the top 16 or the 16 remaining teams. I'm going to just read them quick. You let me know if any of these stands out as wildly wrong and you would totally do it differently. Number one, Stanford. Number two, UConn. Number three, South Carolina. Number four, Baylor. Number five, Maryland. Number six, NC State. Number seven, Louisville. Number eight, Texas A&M. Number nine, Arizona. Then Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Michigan, Texas, Oregon, Georgia Tech. Uh, I hate that Georgia Tech is at the bottom, but I'm not entirely mad at it. Um, They play really great defense, but offensively they struggle. I actually think Baylor's too low. And I will move Maryland up, too. I think, mm-hmm. listen, I'm going to catch off types of flack for this. I caught it this morning at the Sports Center. I think Baylor is better than UConn. Baylor has experience. Baylor is incredibly athletic and quick on both sides of the basketball. Um, one and two, uh, Stanford you can't really argue with. I would move Baylor up, though. Baylor and Maryland. Maryland is my team that I picked to win at all. Yeah, both of those teams have been beating the brakes off opponents, so I was surprised that mm-hmm. they didn't take over some teams that struggled a little bit more in early rounds, although it's hard to always translate how they fare against previous opponents moving forward. So maybe that's what Charlie was doing there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's that Maryland offense looks unstoppable. Oh man. Talk about firepower. I mean, they're putting up 90 points, 91, I believe points per game. And you know, if they run into South Carolina, this could be a great game, but I was telling somebody the other day in theory with Katie Benson and Chloe Bibby, 
And as a team shooting plus 40%, I believe, from behind the arc, they can kind of neutralize Boston defensively because they could just shoot the lights out of the ball and never even have to go there. You mentioned Maryland scoring 90-plus a game. By the way, they've set a new record for men or women for most points per game averaged in a season. So kudos to the Terps offense right there. Is there a game that you're looking at that you think this weekend is prime for for a big upset, Monica? Well, I think seeding-wise, the only ones – I shouldn't say the only ones because Texas is in. Texas versus Maryland could be, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it's Oregon-Louisville for all of the reasons that have mattered in this tournament outside of basketball in addition to the actual team matchup. Uh, Oregon is a six-seed. Louisville is a two-seed. In this matchup, I don't think that that matters because Oregon is a team that has experience. They've been in this moment. They are older than Louisville, who has a lot of – new and younger players outside of Dana Evans, who was the terrific ACC player of the year. Um, But you almost find yourself rooting for Oregon just because of Sedona Brent, who like Mm -hmm. shook up the world, Mm -hmm. if you want to call it, and rightfully so. And now we're getting, you know, heavy hitting reporting pieces on the actual disparities that she exposed that are going to impact how this tournament is run for years moving forward. So um, they already upset Georgia, who was a three seed, I believe. Um, I think the same thing could happen here, especially because Oregon has the ability to crash the glass. And we saw in ACC play this year when Louisville gets out-rebounded, it is a struggle. You know, we were talking earlier about the couple coaches, Iowa State and Terry Morin from Indiana, who both sort of poo-pooed the idea of challenging the NCAA, said, you know, what we need to just focus on playing basketball and being grateful for being here. Um, some people were in Mementchies accusing me of being brittle for claiming that they don't care about women, which is not what I said at all. I merely said that I think if you're going to be coaching women, then it should matter to you and you should care about having their back and fighting for stuff like this when the spotlight is on you. Do you disagree? Is it okay with you that those two coaches have said basically it would be a waste of time to complain? You know, Spain, and I will admit that I've personally had to really sit with myself as this thing has unfolded this week. Um, I've I've asked myself, would I have shared that, right? There's a thing that happens when you get to college, and you know, Spain, like you're an athlete, like you get this speech from your coaches and the staff, anything you do is not about your name. It's X university that you play for, right? Um, And so while most of this week I thought that Sedona probably didn't think twice about that video, and I'm not sure what she shared with you. I know that she came on on our show. She said she was nervous that, you know, what what the reaction would be. And yeah, but not that it not that it persuaded her from doing it. Right. Clearly. Um, You know, I remember at Georgetown, I love my school and I'm super thankful for my free degree. But I remember sort of being the antagonist when it came to what the boys got versus what we got and asking mm-hmm. questions. Now, I didn't necessarily get any answers, but I remember standing firmly in, uh, I have more tournament wins than my counterparts on the men's side, so what's up, right? But then I also would say, for me, I got this free education and that was my goal. But that doesn't mean, I don't, I don't think gra- gratitude and wanting more and wanting an organization to be better are mutually exclusive. Right. I do understand where those coaches come from in terms of they probably had even less but I don't think you should stifle these young people for seeing and dreaming and believing that they deserve more and that the organization that is supposed to serve them can give them more, right? Like if we go to what the marching orders or what the mandates of the NCAA truly is about, it's about a collegiate sports experience for a bunch of different sports besides men's basketball and men's football. So if we're holding you to the standards that you have submitted to us, then what's the error in that? Yeah, I completely agree, and that's what I said earlier. You don't get to hold up unpaid labor and amateurism for every other argument and then bring up revenue only for this one in defense of your choices. And, Monica, I'm someone who made a 
a full petition for people to sign when they tried to get the women's track team to not wear spandex into the shared locker room because it was distracting, even though that was our uniform. So trust me, I was not yeah. sitting by and letting people dictate how my college sports experience would go yeah. either. Yeah. So uh, no one's surprised by that. Uh, Monica, thanks for the insight. <laughs> Enjoy the games this weekend. Appreciate it. Best, thanks, Monica. guys. Monica McNutt, ACCNCBB analyst, with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. I just said it again so you wouldn't think I'm drunk yet. Coming up, it's a Friday <laughs> sports Tinder. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Friday! It's an NCAA tournament Friday, too. We got all sorts of games tomorrow and Sunday we're looking forward to. But, of course, we got to send you off the way we always like to do on a Friday. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and, uh, you know, Friday. Oh, yeah, it's a good Friday. It's always a good Friday, but especially when we know we got a whole weekend full of great basketball. We got all those results of the pandemic madness bracket. Be sure to go fill that out at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. And don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find all sorts of good stuff. Any show comments and, 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 and segments that you missed and also some pre- and post-party digital-only content you can only get if you subscribe to the podcast. So do it now. Uh, also, what you might be doing now is a little swiping. Some bad decisions on Tinder. And so we like to do that with you on Fridays as well with a little sports Tinder. Sports Tinder. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's start with a story in the sports world. Uh, we're going to ask a question about it. If we swipe right, we agree. If we swipe up, we really agree. If we swipe left, we disagree. And if we swipe down, we super dislike it. The MLBPA announced that they will be open to discussing moving this year's All-Star Game from Atlanta after new voting laws pass in the state. The restrictions are very clearly about voter suppression, despite being disguised as making voting more fair. It will disproportionately disenfranchise voters of color and includes absurd, comical things like making it illegal to offer water or food to people in lines, despite knowing that predominantly black neighborhoods tend to be under-resourced and can often cause people to wait in hours-long lines. This is very clearly a response to what went down last year in the voting uh, uh, in Georgia. And uh, I ask you, Fitz. Is this a wise move? Should they consider moving the All-Star game? I am going to swipe right. Yeah, I think that what we've seen over the course of the last few years is leagues are more willing to use their voice for things that they want to stand up for, and we've seen it multiple times. Now, let's also be real that Major League Baseball has a different audience than, let's say, the NBA does or the WNBA does. So I understand that they'll want to be careful about making sure they don't alienate their audience, but at some point you've got to look at it and say, hey, uh, they have the opportunity, and if it's something that they, they want to stand for, why not use the platform that they have? We see more and more of it. I have no problem with it. So uh, we can't pick and choose when we want uh, sports or, or leagues to get involved. I think that we should let leagues uh, go out there and use their brand for the power they can have. I'm going to swipe. Swipe right. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not really sure at this point what it will change, but it certainly sends a message. We saw the NBA do this with laws that discriminate against against the uh, LGBTQ plus community in Charlotte uh, in 2017. To your point, MLB and NBA quite different in terms of audience and audience makeup. But we saw last year uh, after George Floyd, a whole lot of leagues and teams coming through with very bold statements about how they feel about racial discrimination and social issues. 
Let's see if they're keeping that same energy when it actually comes to uncomfortable movements like this and not simply putting up social media posts. This is an opportunity for MLB to be on the side of people of color. And uh, we will see if they're willing to do it and if it makes any difference in terms of how that bill is received and uh, the support that 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 state gets going forward. We're doing a little sports tinder. Let's go to the NFL where it feels inevitable at this point. The 17-game season. The NFLPA Executive Board and NFL Management Council have started negotiations on the front of a 17-game regular season and three-game preseason. The union mandates, or sorry, the union maintains that this calls for a revision of the CBA, uh, of the off-season and in-season work rules. Uh, but it feels like regardless of what those negotiations entail, it is almost certain that we will have 17 games beginning the next season. Do you want 17 games, Fitz? I am going to swipe up super like, oh God. Yeah. I want 17 games. Look, <laughs> it's, it's a roller coaster of emotion for me. I finally put in a fence in Connecticut. So the, the neighbors don't hear the F bombs hopefully as much, or at least I don't see wait, their wait, face wait, wait. when how they hear them. The fe- how, how tall is this fence? And is it made of steel? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tall enough to say, Hey, I want my privacy. That, that's not like, <laughs> if I don't see the face on the, if I don't see the look on their faces when I drop the F bomb after every single bad play, You're I feel like it makes it a little easier. And just be looking over the top of that thing every Sunday. Oh, it's going to be like, what was the guy's name on, on yeah. the, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that thing with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, look, <laughs> I, I'm just saying I want all the football I can get. It's the roller coaster of emotion that I feel on Sunday that, that gets me through the entire week. I want a 17th week of it. Plus I'm never going to see a damn play off game so at least let me get one more Raiders game in the process I was gonna say you want more of that torture you're asking for more Uh, I'm going to swipe right yeah I mean do I want 17 games again I should be asking myself that same question more Andy Dalton please Um, but uh, that being said uh, I do worry about especially taking into account that really in-depth reporting we recently read about the negotiations that just went down with the NFLPA and the NFL. It feels like the players got boned in that, and I don't think they're going to get enough out of adding another full game to their schedule. What they wanted and argued for um, presumably is not enough to match up the added health uh, issues of, of playing another game. So I want it, but I also understand it might come with some some – other aspects that we would not advise for these players. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing a little Friday sports Tinder, swiping up, down, left, and right. A sad story today, um, and and in the last couple days, as we lost two very different matriarchs, uh, doyens of their craft, uh, Beverly Cleary, 104 years old, uh, the beloved author, author of the Ramona Quimby books, and, um, you know, I have to say, Beezus and Ramona, I probably read that cover to cover a dozen times. Um, you know, there were just these characters in her books that felt like friends. And I liked that spunky Ramona was a little bit of a tomboy. Um, and 104, what a life. Uh, so she has passed away um, and will be remembered so much for the work that she did. And then Lucille won from Arrested Development, Jessica Walter, who did a number of things outside of that show, but that is where she most shined, in my opinion, and was so fantastic. I can't believe that Jessica Walter, a.k.a. Lucille Bluth, Lucille One, is gone. And my question for you is, will you hear it, and will you respond to it? Sarah, I am going to... I won't hear it, and I won't respond to it. Uh, Okay. Uh, I guess I should ask myself that as well. Will I hear it, and will I respond to it? I won't hear it, and I won't respond to it. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Uh, we don't need to acknowledge that at all. We can just move right along and pretend it never happened. 
and forever and ever live in a world in which Lucille Bluth is still alive and still dealing the best, the best quips of probably any of the characters on TV in the last decade plus. Uh, Finally, Mighty Ducks is coming back. You want this? You here for it? Yeah, I am going to swipe down. I hate it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm willing to say it. Look, I mean, reboots and sequels that are long separated, any of these things are already awkward enough and bringing back the concepts. But also, Sarah, hot take. I'm really not that into most sports movies. Like, most of wow. them are just, I'd rather wow. watch the it's sport too late than in the a show movie for about you to the drop sport. that. It is way yeah. too late in the show for you to drop a take I like that. I bury my worst takes in the wow. last minute of the Friday oh show just gosh. so that you forget by Monday. Uh, am I here for the Mighty Ducks Game Changers? I'm going to. Swipe up. Super like. You're saying to yourself, Sarah, you never watched it the first time. Why would you be so here for it? Uh, For three reasons. Number one, it says Game Changers in the title, and that is a segment on our show. So thanks for the love, Mighty Ducks. It is a great name. Number two, I am obsessed with Lorelai Gilmore from the Gilmore Girls, and she is a massive uh, star in in this reboot. And number three, my friend John Hewitt's birthday is today, and he looks just like Emilio Estevez. So happy birthday, John, and welcome Welcome to 37. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.